Well, good morning, Fellowship family. Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. If this is your first time here or your first time in a long time, I want to welcome you and just say that we would love to connect with you. You can follow the QR code on the screen, or even better, we'd like to meet you in the center booth in the foyer and help get you connected. I've got an announcement for the community group leaders in the room. Next week, March 5th, we've got a community group leaders training in the family center across the hallway at both the 9 o'clock and 10.30 hours. We hope that you can make next week. Hey, and I've got a wonderful announcement and update this morning for you because many of you have asked and have been praying fervently for Heath and Jessica Gilbert, our new worship leader here at Fellowship, for their sweet baby, Mirren Gilbert, and uh, she has been at uh, Little Rock at Children's since she was born. She was life flighted there about a month and a half ago in just critical, critical condition. And uh, we just want to give thanks in all things, but particularly this morning, we're rejoicing with them because she is almost home. Can we just give a clap offering and thanks to the Lord? She's so close. In fact, I was told last night that I just need her feedings to get up to about 75 milliliters per feeding and then she can come back here to Northwest Arkansas. They can be reunited as a family. And uh, I just, as a father, my heart, uh, I just have a hard time letting go, opening my hand up with my children before the Lord. I know this has been a tough challenge and road for them. I think how much more our Father in heaven cares for us and with whatever you brought in this morning, whether it's financial trouble, whether it's relationship or marriage strife, whether it's health crisis, that we can lay that at the feet of the one who gave everything for us on the cross. He proved his love for us by redeeming us from ourselves and from our sin. And we're gonna turn to him and just give him thanks this morning.
love. Nothing can stop the Lord Almighty's plan to rescue his people from the power of sin, amen? So let's stand and give him the praise that he deserves. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Shout it out. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Who can stop the us so much. Just as Jimmy was sharing earlier, you know, we can bring our burdens, we can bring them to the cross. And God loved us so much that he sent his son, his child, his son, to die on the cross, a sinless man, a death that was meant for sinners. So as we enter into this time where we continue to sing together, I just want us to focus and think on one thing. You know, Jesus, he did not deserve that, but he gave it to us. So how can we respond to that? How can we love him? How can we give him what Jesus deserves? And I think when he approaches us with such a wholehearted love, when he approaches us with all of himself and he says, here I am, come to me, I think we can give him back a selfless faith. So as we enter into this time of worship, I just want you to think on these words. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing his praise. For endless days. So right now, make a decision to give him a selfless face where we just praise his name forevermore. Let's continue to worship. Jesus. 
Praise Him. Oh, praise. 
beautiful are the praises of God's people. And I'm so grateful to have as a spiritual family moments like this where we can just slow down and remember what our God has done. Just remember. As God demonstrates and shows his own love to us, and that he sent his son, Christ, to die for us while we were still sinners. Love indeed came down and did something truly extraordinary. And the Lord Jesus broke the stranglehold that sin had on every believer's life, offering his body to be broken and his blood to be shed on a cross that we deserve all for love so that we could truly live, truly live, live in abundance in the now. No matter what we're facing, no matter what circumstances come our way, to live in abundance in him to live forever in his presence, unburdened by the power of sin, forever and ever worshiping him for who he is. And over the next few moments, the communion elements are gonna be passed. And I would invite every believer to take those elements and to hold them as Alex sings. And just to remember, to reflect on what, who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. And then we will take them together as a spiritual family in remembrance of him.
church on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said this is my body broken for you take and eat in the same manner 
he held up the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for my sins, for your sins, and for the sins of the world. Drink in remembrance of me. There is one vice which no man or woman in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when they see it in others and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. And that vice is pride. You know, pride, having a elevated or an inflated view of one's own importance, thinking too highly of yourself, thinking of yourself too often, thinking that the world revolves around you and is blessed because of you, thinking that your ways, your views, your opinions are superior to others, taking credit for the blessings given to you in this life, being blinded by your own perceived glory, or even placing yourself in the position that only God deserves. Shall I go on? Today we're gonna talk about pride and humility. And I believe that we're gonna receive a word from the Lord today. Because I think it's a message that everyone in the room needs to hear, including me. And our goal today is simple. We wanna humble ourselves before God to bow in submission to the creator God who alone is worthy of honor and power and glory. One of my favorite theologians, John Stott, said this, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. So here's the deal. I just want to tell you up front today may be a little rough on some of us. We're going to be put in our place. If you're looking for a self-help message or a participation trophy for coming to church, you picked the wrong day. Today we're going to maybe feel the heat. Experience a little conviction. You might even sweat a little bit. But in the end, I think that we'll all be better people because of it. Now you may be wondering... Sam, why are you preaching on pride? <laughs> Couldn't they have found a more humble person to give this sermon? The answer is no. <laughs> I am by far the most humble member of our teaching team. <laughs> now, I've found that one of the benefits of stepping into spiritual leadership, whether it be in professional ministry as a volunteer spiritual leader, is this. The Lord calls upon you to model, to teach, to be the example in areas where you most need to grow. He brings external pressure to bear on your character development, and that would be true of me in this particular talk, topic. So before we talk about it, should we pray about it? Would you pray with me? Well, Lord, I ask today that you would give us the humility of Christ. And I ask that even though it won't be enjoyable, that you would crush our pride and that you would put us in our right place. 
Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make this passage we're going to study today to come alive. Convict us where needed to you alone be the glory. Amen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Daniel. And let me, let me lay out the teaching to you this morning by the numbers. Today we're going to study two chapters of the Bible. We've got a lot of text ahead of us, chapters 4 and 5. We're going to look at two prideful kings. We'll take our last look at King Nebuchadnezzar, and we'll get our brief introduction and have a farewell to King Belshazzar. We're going to look at two visions. The first vision will be of a mighty tree representing Nebuchadnezzar. The second will be the writing on the wall, which will be a message to King Belshazzar. So two chapters, two kings, two visions, but we're going to have one idea that I think that we all need to hear this morning, and that's this, that God humbles the proud and he lifts up the humble. God sovereignly, he providentially, and he lovingly humbles us. He leads us to a true and accurate perception of ourselves and an understanding of who we are in light of who he is. He gives us a proper understanding of our importance in this world. To put it simply, he puts us in our right place. And for those willing to humble themselves before him, he lifts them up. The scriptures say it over and over that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I guess you could even say that humility is a prerequisite for right standing before God. So as we hear these two stories this morning, we're going to all have an opportunity to recalibrate because the statement God humbles the proud and lifts up the humble is not just true of ancient kings. It's true of us as well. So let's pick up the first story. And we actually have the recorded words of King Nebuchadnezzar in first person. Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 4. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Nebuchadnezzar begins the story reminding us that he lived a bougie lifestyle, a life of luxury and comfort as he ruled over one of the most influential kingdoms of all time. He reigned over the, the vast Babylonian empire. He led a world superpower. And Nebuchadnezzar designed and lived in one of the world's most legendary cities, the city of Babylon. It was the capital of the empire. It was also the largest world, city in the world at that time. And it contained one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which was a lush green space that he created in this dry and barren land. So at this point in his life, Nebuchadnezzar is the man. He is at the height of his power. He's at the pinnacle of his influence and his wealth and his achievements. So he's in his palace. He's behind the walls of his beautiful fortified city. He is contented and he is prosperous. Yet, he was afraid. He couldn't sleep. Well, why is that? What would cause the most powerful man in the world at that time to lay awake at night in distress. Well, he was having bad dreams. Terrifying images were flooding his mind and 
He did not know what they meant. He was having panic attacks in the middle of the night. So Nebuchadnezzar called for his advisors, his counselors to come and help him understand the nightmares. Look at verse six. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Nebuchadnezzar sought help from many sources, but no one in the empire could provide him any answers. No one could make sense of these terrifying visions that he was having. That is, until Daniel came on the scene. Look at verse 8. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. And then he gives us his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream, interpret it for me. So Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel to make sense of these terrifying visions and then he goes on to recount the dream. Nebuchadnezzar says, I keep dreaming of this enormous tree with this huge canopy before all the peoples of the earth. It was a beautiful tree, a radiant tree, a majestic tree, and it provided food and shelter for many animals and birds and creatures. It was abundant, it was glorious, it was captivated. But Daniel, as the dream continues, a messenger comes down from heaven and calls for the mighty tree to be cut down, stripping it of its branches, its leaves, and its fruit where only the stump is left in the ground. And then the dream gets very strange, Daniel. Next, a man, not a tree, is transformed into a wild beast, a man who lost his sanity and was forced to live in the wild among the animals and the birds and the plants. This man would live just like those who once found shelter under the great tree. And the dream always ends with this one statement. The messenger comes down from heaven and says that all of this is happening so that the living may know that the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Well, after sharing this dream with Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar asked for his interpretation. He said, Daniel, can you tell me what it means? Skip down to verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. He wasn't terrified of the dream. He was terrified to tell the king what the dream meant. And Belteshazzar, um, as he stood before the king, was giving off a vibe, so Nebuchadnezzar set him at ease and said, it's okay, you can tell me anything it means, even if it's negative. He said, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. So Daniel, Belteshazzar answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Daniel was so disturbed by the dream because he was afraid to tell Nebuchadnezzar because it foretold of an unfavorable future for the king himself. He said, if only this dream was true of your worst enemy. Well, Nebuchadnezzar insisted. And so Daniel gave him the interpretation. Look at verse 20. You could call this the tree decree. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, 
visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves, abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. It's true, you've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. Your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. But, verse 23, your majesty, the messenger coming down from heaven said this, cut down the tree and destroy it. Daniel courageously delivered the bad news to the king. You are the tree, Nebuchadnezzar. It's true, you rule over a vast kingdom. You've built an incredible city. You've conquered your enemies. You've extended your dominion, but it's over. You will be cut down. You will lose your power and your position. Verse 25 gives greater detail. You'll be driven away from your people. King, you're gonna be going into exile. You're gonna live with the wild animals. You're gonna eat grass like the ox and be drenched like the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar, not only are you the tree, but you're also the man transformed into a wild beast. You will be removed from, driven from your city, your palace, to live in exile in the wild. You will lose your mind. You will become like an animal. You will look like a beast. You will live like a beast. You will leave the banquet table of your palace and you're gonna eat grass like an ox. Tim Keller said this of the Lord's rebuke. Because Nebuchadnezzar aspired to be more than a man, the Lord was gonna make him less than a man. And this would last for seven times. We have to interpret that. Most believe that it means seven times. Years, But note that the king's removal had a purpose. Look at that last part of verse 25. The king's demise is designed to change his heart and proclaim a truth. Seven years will pass, and this will go on until you acknowledge something. That the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone he Wishes the Lord's proving a point that there is a king and a kingdom that is superior to all, even mighty Babylon. And we'll see in the book of Daniel, even mighty Persia, even mighty Greece, even mighty Rome. And I would su suggest to you today, even mighty who? America, Russia. China. This is definitely a statement that the Lord wants all to remember, that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms. It is repeated word for word four times in our two chapters today. The statement affirms Yahweh, the Almighty Creator God, the God of Daniel, is the one who rules and reigns over all the earth. And I would suggest to you today that this is not just the main idea of these two chapters it's the main idea of the whole book of Daniel. Now, you may have wondered what this image is. We've been showing you the whole series. This is called a chiastic structure. The book of Daniel is laid out in its literary form as a chiasm, 
with paralleling thoughts throughout, and the chiasm is designed to point at the center to the main idea of that piece of literature, and we are at the center of the chiasm today, chapters 4 and 5, and look what's repeated four times in chapters 4 and 5. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Well, after Daniel gave his interpretation, he actually gave the king some advice. He suggested that the king repent and change his ways. He pleaded with the king to hear the warning that was being delivered to him through the terrifying dream. But unfortunately, in his pride, King Nebuchadnezzar ignored him for a year. Look at verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? After Daniel gave the warning to the king, a year passed, and we find King Nebuchadnezzar still walking in pride, consumed with his own glory and greatness. Look at my kingdom built by me, built for me, What a testimony to my greatness and power. To me be the glory. And look at verse 31. While these words were where? On his lips. Immediately when he made this boastful statement, a voice came from heaven. And said, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from your people. You'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. God said, that's it. That's enough. King Nebuchadnezzar, go eat grass. Until you acknowledge my power and my greatness, I will take away yours. I warned you, you did not turn from your ways, so it's time to face the music. And it became true immediately. Verse 33. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and he ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Nebuchadnezzar was driven into exile. He lost both his kingdom and his sanity. He was given the mind and the appearance and the lifestyle of an animal. He went from bougie to beastly, from feasting on the finest to grazing on grass. And this lasted for seven times, or seven years. Enough time for his hair to become clumped together and matted that it looked like feathers. And for his fingernails to to go Freddy Krueger, to grow so long that they looked like claws. For over 2,500 days, Nebuchadnezzar lived like a beast. God humbles the proud. He realigns our puffed up perception of ourself. He puts us in our place. But, but, he lifts up the humble. One verse later, look at verse 34. And at the end of that time, at the end of the seven years, with his matted hair and his long fingernails, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. 
my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Finally, after seven years of being displaced, after seven years of being humble, the king looked up. He acknowledged the king of kings. He praised the almighty God. He recognized the proper position of the creator of the universe. His eyes moved from himself to heaven. He shifted from self-obsession to divine adoration. The king looked up. C.S. Lewis said this, as long as you're proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. The story concludes with Nebuchadnezzar having both his sanity and his kingdom restored. He said, at the same time my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors, nobles, sought me out and I was restored to the throne and became even greater than before, but he learned a lesson. Look at that last line. He said, and I learned that those who walk in pride, he, God, is able to humble. The first story clearly shows us a truth about God. God humbles the proud, but he does what? He lifts up the humble. May we hear it. May we learn May we be warned by it and encouraged by it. Everybody take a deep breath. I still have another chapter. So turn to page. Next chapter, Daniel chapter 5. Remember, two chapters, two kings, two visions. So let's jump 20-ish years into the future. And we're abruptly introduced to a second prideful king, King Belshazzar. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, remember him? His father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the golden goblets that had been taken from the temple. He, he and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank wine, they praised idols, gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So after four chapters of Nebuchadnezzar, we are suddenly introduced to the second king in Daniel, Belshazzar, the descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. Now the story calls Nebuchadnezzar his father, which is technically not the case, but Nebuchadnezzar is his big name predecessor and is the father of the family line. The story begins with a lavish banquet with over a thousand guests. This would be a very large party even by today's standard and it featured the triple threat of trouble. Wine, women, and worship. Belshazzar liked to party. He surrounded himself with well-wishers and ladies, his wives and his girlfriends. And he filled everyone's cup with the finest royal wine while they worshipped pagan gods. Gods of wood, metal, and stone. And what we're going to find as we read the story is that his true trouble doesn't come from alcohol or adultery, but arrogance. 
King Belshazzar sat on his throne thinking he was invincible and he mocked the God of Israel while worshiping his idols. You see, he didn't just worship a different deity. He did so in defiance of the God of Israel while drinking wine from the sacred vessels that were stolen from the temple in Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar during the Babylonian siege. It is though it is as though Belshazzar is defying the Lord. He's saying, come at me, bro. He's daring the Lord to stop him. Now, what the story doesn't tell you is that while this is all going on, while Belshazzar is getting hammered with his friends at the worship service, the Medo-Persian army is outside the gates of Babylon and the city is under siege. Either because Belshazzar was oblivious to being under attack or because he was so arrogant that he thought he was secure inside the walls of his palace and would be protected by his gods, he showed no concern whatsoever. He threw a party to celebrate his greatness while the new world superpower, the Medo-Persian army, was setting his kingdom on fire. So while Belshazzar reveled in his pride and idolatry, the Lord interrupted his party in a supernatural way. Look at verse 5. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His, his face turned pale. He was so frightened, his, his legs became weak and his knees began to knock. A surprise messenger entered the party. A hand supernaturally appeared and wrote on the wall. It was a miraculous occurrence. The king was overcome with fear and with worry. He turned white as a ghost. His legs gave out because of this metaphysical apparition that suddenly appeared and wrote on the wall. And by the way, that's where we get the expression, the writings on the wall from this story. The king could not understand the message that appeared, so he called for his men to interpret. Look at verse 8. The king called, the, then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face grew even more pale and his guests were baffled. The king's men could not understand the message, either because of the script or because of the language. It was really unclear what it meant. They were puzzled and the king was petrified. Now, Belshazzar's wife reminded him of a man of insight and intelligence named Daniel who might could help. A man who had previously interpreted the dreams of his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, many years ago. So the king called for him. Look at verse 16. Belshazzar says to Daniel, Now I have heard that you were able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. And you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. King Belshazzar asked for help and promised a payday. It was a quid pro quo offer. Help me and I'll help you. I love Daniel's response in verse 17. You can keep your gifts. You can give your rewards to someone else. I don't want your cash or your jewelry, or your clothing. But I will give you a word from the Lord. But first, King, a history lesson. Look at verse 18. 
Daniel speaking, Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. Till what? Until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and he will give them to anyone he wishes. Don't you remember the story of what happened, Belshazzar, to your predecessor? How his pride led to him losing his power, drove him into exile. He thought he was more than a man, so God made him less than a man. And he learned that important lesson that the most high God is sovereign over the universe. Daniel ended his history lesson, returned to the current situation. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, even though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You've had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you, your nobles, your wives, your concubines, drank wine from them, while you worshiped idols which cannot see or hear. You did not honor the God who holds his hand, in his hand, your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent a hand to write this inscription. Belshazzar, you ignored the lessons of your fathers. You invited the opposition of God into your life and your kingdom. And the God who holds you in his hand has now sent his hand to deliver a message to you. Let me tell you what the Lord says. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel parson in Aramaic. Here's what the words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, the singular form of parson. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Belshazzar, God humbles the proud. Your days are numbered. Your end has come. God has examined you and you have fallen short. You have challenged him and dishonored him. You will now forfeit your kingdom. And so the writing on the wall came to be in just a matter of hours. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. On a night, throwing a party to celebrate the greatness of the Babylonian kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom came to an end. Bible commentator Dale Davis said this, Human governments are interim arrangements of God that he appoints to fill space until the power and glory of Jesus' kingdom. So we've read two chapters. We've looked at two kings. We've examined two visions. Let's not miss the main point. God humbles the proud and he lifts up the humble. What was true of ancient kings is also true of us as well. He leads us to a true and accurate understanding of who we are in light of who he is. He puts us in our place. Now, I would suggest to you today that sometimes we look at stories like this and we say things like, I can't believe the arrogance of those kings. I'm so glad I'm not like them. Herman Belkamp wrote this in application of the passage. And maybe it's true of our hearts as well. For we are all a bunch of Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar clones wanting to call our own shots, to direct our own show, puny as it is. And seldom, except in a rare moment of sanity, 
stopping to consider how asinine our passion for self-deification is. Ouch, Herm. Jesus said, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and for those who humble themselves will be exalted. Would you pray with me? And just take a moment right now to humble yourself before God. And search your hearts. And see if there isn't a prideful king or queen within. And now confess that to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you for your hubris. Well, Lord, we acknowledge today that you are the most high God, sovereign over all the earth and its kingdoms, and you give them to anyone you wish. Lord, forgive us for our acts of pride. We're taking your place. We're taking credit for what you do, for inflating our own value and worth. We thank you for sending us the humble king, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? We want to close our service this morning, entering into this confession of humility. Who am I compared to you, O God? You are the all-powerful creator of the universe. You are the sovereign the infinite and the eternal king of glory. I am but a mist. I am briefly here and then gone, like a blade of grass blown away by the wind. Lord, I am unclean before you. I am like a sheep that has gone astray. I have repeatedly given in to temptation. And even my attempts to do good are like filthy rags to you. I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. Forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned. You have loved me despite my sin and rebellion. You humbled yourself and died on my behalf. Through the cross, you washed me feet, pardoned my sin, and bore my shame. My debt is paid in full. My right standing before you is not earned through works, but given to me as a gift. I am redeemed by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. Let's sing this together. Self inside of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And he shall lift you up. Higher than higher, and he shall lift you 
You have provided for me more than I need or deserve. My possessions, my talents, and my achievements are gifts of your kindness and mercy. My cup overflows. All that I have is yours, O Lord. You are the giver of life and breath and everything else. You are the vine, and I am but a branch. I can do nothing apart from you. My strenuous self-effort leaves me spiritually bankrupt. You empower me and sustain me by your gracious hand. I am completely dependent on you each moment of each day. Listen to his honor, let's sing this out. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And he shall lift you up. Higher and higher than he shall lift you up. Up into heaven. Lord, we acknowledge today that you are the most high God, sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth, and you give them to anyone you wish. To you and you alone be the glory and the power and the honor forever. Amen. Fellowship, if you need prayer, our prayer room is open this morning. Have a great week.